All right, we're going to resume in Revelation chapter number 12. In Revelation chapter number 12, we've been dealing with uh, the fall of Satan. We've, we've learned that this woman is no doubt the nation of Israel. Christ came from Israel. And then we read all the way down in verse 4 in his tale, speaking of this red dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Like it said in Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. I gave you a reference in Exodus. I don't think I gave you the reference where Pharaoh wanted um, those babies murdered. That's Exodus 1 verses 15 through 17. So if you're keeping score, that's where that's at. Now go to verse 5. It says, and she brought forth a man child, like we read over in Isaiah 66, 7, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up unto God and to his throne. Now there's no doubt about this, in my opinion. There's only one child, this man child, that's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Take your Bible and go back to Psalms 2. Psalms is a great book in the Bible. And people say, well, there's a lot of spiritual truths, and you read Psalms and it can be uplifting. There's no doubt that's true. You get down and out, read the book of Psalms. It'll cheer you up. But the truth is, it's a lot more than that. There's as much about the second coming of Christ in Psalms as there is any book of the Bible. It is loaded with material. There's things about the first coming of Christ. Psalms 22, the entire psalm is about Christ on the cross. And all through here, you'll find things in Psalms. You'll find the Antichrist in Psalms. You'll find Judas Iscariot and the prophecy of him in Psalms. You'll find Christ in Psalms. You'll find the marriage supper of the Lamb in Psalms. I mean, it's all kinds of things. Here in Psalms 2, it's one of the great, great Psalms in my opinion. And it says in verse 1, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? We're there now. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Christ means anointed. Saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. They can't do nothing with him. And then it says in verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The Lord's coming back. He's going to reign. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. That's the virgin birth. Christ. Verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. In other words, the Lord's coming back, and boy, is he mad. And when he comes back, he's going to reign. You say, from where? From the holy hill of Zion. He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, right on the temple mount. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And that's the only time the rod of iron is mentioned outside of the book of Revelation. And that's a prophecy, Psalms 2 of the second coming of Christ. They will kiss the sun. They're going to worship him. All right. Revelation again. 
So you find this rod of iron in Revelation 2, verse 27, Revelation 12, verse 5, and then at the second coming chapter, Revelation 19, verse 15. No doubt who it's talking about. And it says in verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. You say, what could that be? Well, you know what it had to be. It had to be the ascension of Christ. He was called up. Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. He ascended back to the Father. It tells you that again in Mark chapter 16, verse 19. He ascended up on high. He went up into a cloud. He'll come back in like manner, the Bible says. 16, 19 in Mark. Now verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now if you'll remember last time, maybe time before last, a couple lessons ago, two or three lessons ago possibly, we spoke about these days and the different times. 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years, all these different, a time and a times, and a half a time. All these different measurements, and all of them come out to be the same. Three and a half years, 42 months, the last half of the tribulation. That's what we're dealing with here. And so here this woman, Israel, is going to flee. See, Israel is going through the tribulation. The Bible says that's a time of Jacob's trouble. Man, she's going to go through it. And there the Antichrist, by... Receiving power from the devil is going to try to wipe her out once again. What's left of her? But yet God's bringing her through the tribulation period to try her one last time because she rejected Christ. And at the end of that tribulation period, he's going to restore Israel in her full glory. There's going to be a restoration. And we'll talk about that more later. But it's going to be bad during that time. And so here's the great question. The woman fled into the wilderness. Take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Why is she fleeing? Because she's about to be persecuted. And you think the persecution of Hitler was bad. It won't compare to this one. You think the persecution in Esther was bad. It won't be like this one. I'm telling you, there's never been a time in history like this one. In Matthew 24, you read about it. You got the gospel of the kingdom. We'll get to that. The word gospel simply just means good news. You know that, don't you? That's what the word means. It means good news. All right, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now we know that to be the middle of the tribulation period when the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty. We've been talking about this through Revelation. He says, when that happens, stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. It's time to flee. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Watch it closely. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. 
For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened. God's going to stop them after three and a half years. There should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, Israel, those days shall be shortened. She fled into the wilderness. So in Revelation 12, 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. And then in Revelation 12, 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Let your flight be, he said, that she might fly into the wilderness. And so the Lord's going to take her to undisclosed area, which is really not undisclosed if you know your Bible, and he's going to protect her. He's going to get her out of Jerusalem where the Antichrist is reigning, where his headquarters is going to be. And he's going to remove her during that time. You say, what about us? We're not going to be here, friend. We're out of here. We're up in heaven when this is going on. But there she is, and she's going to the wilderness. Now, a good question is, people ask, they say, what's the wilderness? Sounds like Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles to me. Well, that is a wilderness indeed, amen. But it's not the wilderness we're talking about. I mean, Memphis is a wilderness. Somebody say amen. That's for sure. Little Rock in the wrong time is a wilderness. <laughs> you get on the wrong block at the wrong time of day, you promise you it's a wilderness. <laughs> but you say, well, Little Rock's not that big. I dare you to go where I'm telling you to go in the middle of the night. <laughs> Amen. Keep your doors unlocked. <laughs> Amen. See what happens. You'd wish you wouldn't have been there. Well, let me just tell you something. That's not what we're talking about. When we read about the wilderness, we're reading about different places. So you say, well, what is it? All right, take your Bible and go to Lamentations chapter 4. Let's see what the scripture says. When you get reading this, there's a lot to this. Lamentations. You get to Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Lamentations chapter 4. Lamentations, man, that was a rough time for those children of Israel, wasn't it? And all that pictures the tribulation period. All right, Lamentations chapter number 4, verse 19. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. Hmm, sounds familiar. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. There they are going to the wilderness, and they're being protected by the shadow of the Lord. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of us. Do you know where the wilderness is? It's Edom. Do you know where Edom is? It's over southeast of the Dead Sea. That's the area of Esau's area. And over there is the land of Uz. Now, somebody tell me who in the Bible was from Uz. Job. Y'all awake? There was a man from the land of Oz. Is a yellow bird? No, it's Uz. <laughs> Amen. And there's a man from us, his name was Job. You say, well, what's so important about Job? 
He's the greatest type of the tribulation uh, person, Jew in the Bible. He was on the ground seven days and seven nights. There's seven years of tribulation. There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. There's 42 months in the last half of the tribulation. Job was persecuted by the devil. That's what's going to happen to Israel in the tribulation. I'm not saying Job is Israel in the tribulation. I said he's a type. It's a type of it. The whole book of Job is a type of it. Man, he's going through it. And he's in the right location too. You say, where is he at? He's in the wilderness. You say, what's in us? Well, if you in modern day, it'd be Petra, the rock city. It's a fortress. There it is. They built that city out of that rock, and there's a narrow space you can go through in there, and armies couldn't get through it because hardly very few people could go through it at the same time. They couldn't penetrate it. You get in there, and it was a fortress city. That's over there. It's just about 20 miles or 25 miles east of Israel. That's Moab. It's modern-day Jordan. That's down there by the Dead Sea is where that's at. East of the Dead Sea. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he comes back through Edom, Esau's land, up through the wilderness, up called the King's Highway. And he comes up through the King's Highway. He goes up by Jericho and Gilgal, crosses the Jordan River, and he comes in hot to the Mount of Olives. (laughs) Both feet are going to touch the ground. And it's so hot that the mountain splits. It'll be something else during that time. And so that's the area he's going to hunt. But it's more than that. You get reading your Bible, and it appears that she's going to be divided between three places during this time. Three different places. And uh, you've got Edom, which is us, Petra, Esau, all that would be the same. And then you go on down, and you'll find Carmel. If you was in Israel, they'd call it Carmel, the mountain where Elijah took care of business. And he went against Ahab and the prophets of Baal and had a showdown. That's going to be on the west coast, northern Israel, near the Mediterranean, and it overlooks the Jezreel Valley. And what's amazing about that is that's where Armageddon's going to happen. They're coming against Israel. Because the Antichrist knows where they're at. But there's somebody coming to fight on their behalf. You say, where do you get that? Micah chapter 7. Turn to Micah 7. I know we're not getting too far, but we're going to try to pick up a little bit. But I need, you need this. You need this stuff if you're going to know anything about the Bible. Micah chapter 7. Micah, come past it. These little minor prophets, you can get past them in a hurry. Then pages stick together. Then passed it again. How many times am I going to pass it? I saw it. I start sticking. I'm there finally. Thank the Lord. Micah chapter 7. All right, you get Micah chapter 7, verse 14. Feed thy people with thy rod. The flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. God's going to feed them as he did in the days of old. Where is he going to feed them at? Carmel, Bashan, Gilead. So you see three places. You got Mount Carmel. You got Bashan. And by the way, Gilead is 
the area extended from Bashan. It's really kind of the same area, and it's in the south, and it goes all the way to Mount Hermon in the north. And then the other place is Edom that we were reading about, Uz, Petra. So you got three different distinct places, and God's going to feed them like he did in the days of old. So go back to Revelation chapter number 12, and you get in Revelation chapter number 12, and you'll read over here in verse number 5, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up unto God to his throne, and the woman fled to the wilderness where she had the place of God, that they should feed her. A thousand, two hundred, and three score days. How are they going to feed her? Like they did in the days of old. You say, what's your idea about it? I'm going to say that that book of Exodus is the tribulation period once again. And the children of Israel getting in the wilderness. And here they are getting fed from bread, from corn from heaven. Angels food called manna. You say that could happen again. It will happen again. In the tribulation period, then the book of Exodus is telling you more than something that just happened in history. Not only is it history that transpired and took place and God working, but at the same time, God's showing you something else. It's called, this book here is divided into three different ways. Every chapter in this book has a historical setting. It happened the way it said it happened at that given time. Every one of them has a spiritual setting. You can spiritually take a verse, you can preach from it, and you don't have to take the true meaning as long as you don't go against the meaning of the entire book when you're taking it, as long as it's in context and doctrinally correct in the Scriptures. And then you have what they call a doctrinal application, which is many times prophetic. And that's what the Scriptures teach them. And so all, all those minor prophets back there, you're read, you can't read the minor prophets and not read the second coming of Christ. If you don't like the second coming of Christ, don't read the minor prophets. It's on every page. Over and over and over and over again. And there it is. Bam, 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 bam. Hosea chapter 2. While we're minor profited. Hosea 2. Hosea chapter. It's all through here. That's right after Daniel. Hosea 2. We may all leave with a headache when this is over, but we're going to get something. Hosea chapter 2. You say, what's Hosea about? Israel. She became adulterous. That's why she's in the mess she's in in, tri in the tribulation period. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. So Hosea's got more than one application, something that happened then, and God was prophesying during that time, but also... Later on, Hosea 2, 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. You say, who's her? It's a woman. That's what you got we're dealing with in Revelation 12. And bring her into the what? The wilderness. And speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her, her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and... As in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishai, her husband. And shalt call me no more Bala, 
my Lord. Instead, you'll call me your husband. You say, why? Because it's at that point when he comes back that he marries Israel again. That has not happened yet. It has not happened. Where's the Valley of Acor? Southwest of Jericho. It's right down there in that borderline wilderness. The Qumran community. Qumran's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's by the Dead Sea. Petra's close to the Dead Sea. It's all that area. All right. Back to Revelation, please. I'm not going to turn to all these references. I'm going to give you some here. But in Revelation 12, 6, one more time. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Who's the they? Probably angels. Write down Psalms 78, verses 23 through 25. And take a look at that. Showing Exodus being a type of the tribulation. All right, verse 7, Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. That has not happened yet. You say, how do you know it's not happened? Because if that happened before Genesis 3, then the book of Job's a lie. Because in Job, the devil came with the sons of God before the throne. You know what he came to do? To accuse Job. And he did accuse him. And if that wasn't enough, in Job chapter 2, he did it a second time. What that tells you is God allows the devil to come before his throne and accuse the brethren. But in the tribulation period, exactly in the middle of the tribulation period, that's going to be over with. Look in verse 10. And now I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. That has to be after Job, which accused them before our God day and night. Don't you think he's still accusing? That's the reason that you need an advocate. 1 John 2. It's the reason you need a daysman. Somebody to go to court on your behalf. That's what we need. All right. So here we are. You get reading about these folks here. And the devil goes to war. You say, who's going to say that? You're going to say it. You'll be in heaven when this happens. Did you ever think about that? You say, what are we going to do? I doubt we have to do anything. Looks like Michael handles it pretty good to me. <laughs> He's going to take care of it. And so you're getting all kinds of stuff. You say, who's Michael? The archangel. Jude verse 9 tells you that. It didn't say Michael and archangel. It said Michael, the article, the archangel. So what about Gabriel? Never said he was one. So you know there's three archangels, Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer. I've had Baptist preachers tell me that. I go, how do you know they're archangels? It only says Michael's one. The ar- it says the archangel. It's because all their names are mentioned. Exactly. What's that got to do with it? Nothing. Now that goes back when you start reasoning things out instead of taking the Bible for it. That's when you get in a mess. And once they get in that mess, they taught it so long, they don't want to stop teaching it. They're not like I was earlier, and I said, you know what, I've been teaching this long, I'm going to try to teach it right tonight. 
What you do when you're teaching something wrong and you see it differently in the Bible and you see it the correct way, you teach it the way the Bible says. You say, why? Because we'll give an account before God. That's how come. So you go with the scriptures what you do. God told me, he said, well, he said, Lucifer had a third of the angels. Michael had a third and Gabriel had a third. I said, where'd you read that at? And so we're right there in Revelation 12. I said, it didn't say Michael had a third. It said the devil had a third. You say, well, what do you think? I said, looks like Michael had two-thirds to me. He said, where do you get that at? I said, the same place you got where you got yours. (laughs) I mean, if if you're going to guess, I can guess. And say, well, you know, Michael's called one of the chief princes, and since he's a chief prince, that means Lucifer and Gabriel were chief princes too. Where does it say that at? It didn't say that. And let me just say while I'm at it, Lucifer wasn't an angel to begin with. He was a cherub. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. Anything that anybody would teach differently than that, they're teaching heresy. You say, well, I believe. Well, that's good. You believe it. But go ahead and put the little disclaimer in there. I don't got any Bible for this because it's not in there, but this is what I believe. I got Bible for what I believe for him. Ezekiel 28. Verse 14 tells me who he is. You say, what's the difference between an angel and a cherub? They're not spelled the same. That'd be a good start right there. Cherubim have wings. Angels don't. You say, now come on. Go ahead. Find it. But I don't got time to wait on you because you're going to be here for the rest of your life. See, that's one of those traditions that's passed down. And the average Baptist preacher, they say, well, you know, cherubim, are, they're all angelic beings. Where'd you read that at? I always like to have fun. I said, well, how do you know that angels aren't cherubic beings? You can go either way. With it. I just call them all the heavenly hosts. <laughs> That'll take care of it right there. Man, people get wild, don't they? Get with the Bible, man. All right. You say, you're just picking it. I'm just having fun. You already believe the Bible. All right. Verse 7 again. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels. By the way, Michael's mentioned five times in the Bible. His name is, who is like God? He's like God. That's what his name means. Who is like God? Verse 8. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. I don't know how it went down, but I'm just going to say this. Michael and his angels won. (laughs) That's what that means. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now look at that. Look at all those different names for him. You get reading there, and the Bible gives you all these names, and they're all talking about the same person. So when you get in Genesis 3, and people say, well, how do you know who the serpent is? It tells you right here. Satan means adversary. The first time he's mentioned is in 1 Chronicles 21.1. He stood against Israel. Guess what he's doing in Revelation? He's standing against Israel. The name uh, serpent, the first mention is Genesis 3.1. Serpent stands for deception. Like in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, the serpent beguiled Eve. He deceived her. He's called the serpent five times in Genesis chapter 3 and five is the number of death. 
Dragon. Oh, the word dragon means a kind of winged serpent. This dragon's called Leviathan in Isaiah 27.1. That crooked serpent. The word dragon's mentioned 13 times in the book of Revelation. And then you have devil. Devil's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament term. First time is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It means to culminate, to accuse or charge one falsely, to slander. That's what he did to Job. He slandered him. You do that and he'll curse you to your... No, he didn't. But more, impo- more importantly, when Christ came, he tempted him. You take devil and take the D off, evil. That's what he is. All right, we're not going to turn a bunch of references there. Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. They were cast out. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. That's a great day in heaven. Write down Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. For the accuser of the brethren, he accused them before our God day and night. He doesn't sleep. And then Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Two times you'll read that in Job. 6, 12. Job 1, 6 through 12. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's the only way you have to do it. (laughs) There's not another way. Thank God for his blood. And by the word of their testimony, they were testifying. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Three ways they overcame him, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they, they loved their lives. They loved not their lives unto the death. They gave their lives. They were willing to die for the cause of Christ. The death. You say, what's that? Revelation 20 and verse 4. Decapitation in the tribulation period. That's the way. And they're willing to lay down their life. John and Betty Stam, they had them over there in China. Had their baby laid on a bed. Took them out of the village and brought them out in the 1920s or 1930s. And got them down there and made them get on their knees. And got a sword. And chopped their heads off. They got down their knees. They said John Stam never, uh, never whimpered, never flinched, but stood there in a time of prayer and took it like a man. And he went straight to heaven. Missionaries. And so well, that was a long time ago. It's still happening, by the way. You know what those people were? Heroes of the faith. That's what they are. Heroes of the faith. Gave their life for the Lord. And here the devil comes and he's going to take them out. And boy, they love not their lives unto the death. You say, that's something else, honey. Yes, it is. That's some men right there. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. 
You say, what is that? That's going to be some great wrath, tribulation period, the last half. He knows his short time is three and a half years, 42 months, 1,203 score days. That is his short time. And when he comes down, he's going to be all business. He knows he's going to lose, and he's going to try to do as much damage as he can. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman. It's Israel, which brought forth the man-child. Brought him back 2,000 years ago. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, that's one, and times, that's two, and a half a time, one half, altogether, three and a half, from the face of the serpent. We talked about these times and stuff earlier. Go back to Exodus 19. You say, why are we going to Exodus? Because Exodus ain't about Exodus. It's about this. Exodus 19. <laughs> Exodus 19.3, 19.2, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. That happened there, but it also pictures something else that happened. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. You say, now you're going to tell me Deuteronomy is about something else. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of prophecy in Deuteronomy. You say, like what? Like their rock's not as our rock. There's a prophet like unto Moses coming in Deuteronomy 18. He didn't come for thousands, 1,500 years at least after that was written. Prophecy. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. What's his portion? Jacob. What's the other name for Jacob in the Bible? Israel is the lot of his inheritance. Then Israel's his people. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him, like Zechariah says in chapter 2, as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over a young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him. Well, that's something right there. You say, what is that? There's tribulation all over it. Revelation 12. You still think that that's... Woman's Mary? You didn't get it out of a King James Bible. You've probably been reading that message again, hadn't you? 
the mess. New World Translation. Amen. Charles the Flunky. Revelation chapter 12. The Flunky Russell. Revelation chapter 12 verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Under a place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman. That he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. You say, why? The Lord's in this. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Which keep the commandments of God. That's Israel right there. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So what about this flood right here? What's that talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look back here in Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel 9 is dealing with Daniel's 70th week, which is the tribulation period. You say, what's Daniel about in times? The first half of the book of Daniel is history. That's the first six chapters. The last six is prophecy. Daniel chapter 9. Remember we've been studying this. We saw in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Verse 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he, this is the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Seven years. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. The Lord said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, flee. Get out. It's the tribulation. And that thing's going to end with a flood. He's going to be breaking war. And bringing a flood is what it's talking about right there. That is wild business is all i got to say. Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. You say, we turn in a lot. I know we are. Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. Job chapter number 40. Did you ever read about this behemoth over here? You need to read about him. You know what behemoth is? It's Hebrew for animals, plural. But yet it's singular. Job 40 verse 15. Behold now behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. But he's not an ordinary animal. Lo now his strength is in his loins. We'll talk about some more of this next time. And his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He's not ordinary. You can compare that with Psalms 109 verse 18 and the Antichrist and all that business. He is the chief of the ways of God. Hmm. Kind of like an anointed cherub or something. 
He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. God can take care of him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. Over by the water, huh? The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook can pass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth he could draw up Jordan into his mouth and taketh it with his eyes, his nose, piercing through snares. He thinks he can take the whole river Jordan and put it in his mouth at one time. You know what's going to happen? He's going to cause this woman to be carried away at the flood because he's going to cast out of his mouth water as a flood in Revelation 13. That's wild. That's tribulation period is what that is. All right, we're going to stop there and we'll be in chapter 13 next time.